welcome back to the Eucatropolis Podcast. I'm your host, James Hill. This week, how to keep things interesting when you have to stay on one chord for a really long time. Stick around. Before we begin this week, I just want to say that I'm starting to feel optimistic about the possibility of in-person gatherings in 2022. I know I know optimism is dangerous and there have been so many moments during the pandemic when we've had our hopes raised and then dashed, but I'm ready to be hopeful again and the thought of playing and learning together in person is more thrilling than ever. Now, the only downside is that we won't be able to blame our uh, rhythmic problems on Zoom anymore, but hey, that's going to be a nice problem to have. So in that spirit, I want to invite you to a very special in-person event that's happening in September of this year. It's called the California Ukulele Hideaway. This has been on hold for two years, and now it's back on the calendar, and I can't wait. It's just you, me, and 29 other ukulele players learning and playing together in beautiful Benicia, California. And the good news is, registration is now open, but the bad news is, it's already half sold out. So, if you're interested, please go to www.musicworldretreats.com and click on California Ukulele Hideaway to get more info. That's musicworldretreats.com for more info on the California Ukulele Hideaway, which is happening September 23rd to 25th, 2022. Just you, me, and 29 other ukulele players. I hope to see you there for an entirely in-person low latency experience. Okay, so let's get started with this week's episode of the podcast. This week, our inspiration comes to us from Avon, who has posted uh, an interesting comment in the ukulele jazz course that I want to pick up on. Avon is a very busy student on Eutropolis. She's involved in, in many courses. She's also a teacher Uh, now a certified level three teacher, having done all three levels of the Jehui teacher certification program. And at the moment, really diving into the jazz course, loving that and posting some really nice performances of her playing and singing jazz in the Eutropolis community. So make sure you check those out. The comment I'm going to pick up on here today is a comment she makes on the song, It Had to Be You, which is also one of my favorite songs in ukulele jazz, but specifically she's investigating walking parts of the chord. In other words, moving a single note uh, in a chord while the rest of the chord stays put. This is a really uh, beautiful effect and uh, I use it all the time if I have a chord that lasts for a long time. And I still want to create interest within that chord without 
changing the fundamental harmony of the moment. And this happens on, you know, this can be done on many, many chords. Or... Or... The whole idea is just to keep most of the chord in place while you move one note, usually in a downward direction. There's something about that that really appeals to the ear and just sort of keeps things interesting, even though the harmony itself is a bit static. It's If you can think of it like a, like a, a, a pot of water on the stove and, and there's boiling water in the pot, you know, there's lots of activity there. There's bubbles and there's sounds and there's a little bit of splashing and, you know, like the, the water is doing a lot, but the pot itself isn't moving, if you know what I mean. So that's kind of what we're doing here. I, I could just sit on a chord. But if that chord lasts for a very long time, it can get a little bit monotonous. And so what I can do is sort of make the water boil by creating sort of internal interest in this chord. And it keeps things alive, even though the harmony itself is static. And this is exactly what happens in the song, It Had to Be You. It had to be you. It had to be you. Now listen to this next chord. I wandered around and finally found the somebody who Were you counting how many beats that chord went for? I wandered around one, two, and finally five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. It's actually sixteen beats on that third chord of the song before you get to change to another chord. And that is a very long time. It's quite unusual, especially in jazz, to have a single chord that lasts for 16 beats in a row. And so this is a moment that uh, in the ukulele jazz course, I really uh, latch onto. And we have a look at an extreme example like this to learn how to keep a chord interesting when it's just sitting there. <laughs> and one of the ways to do that is to walk part of the chord. And I don't want to give the whole ukulele jazz lesson here. That's not what this is about. But you can try to find, partly through just trial and error, one note that sounds good when it moves. And the rest of the chord stays put. At the moment, if you want to follow along here, I'm playing an A9 chord. Okay, if you've never played nine chords before, they're not that's scary. Just start with a 7, so in this case A7, which is just one finger on the first fret of the C string. That's it. From the ceiling to the floor, that would be 0, 1, 0, 0. 
That's A7, which you may have come across before, but many of you may not have discovered A9, which just adds one finger on the second fret of the A string. That note right there. And so we're going to add that to the A7 chord, giving us a total of 0, 1, 0, 2. That's going from the ceiling down to the floor. Those are the fret numbers. 0, 1, 0, 2. That is the chord of the moment. That's the one that lasts for 16 long beats. And pretty much through trial and error, I've found that that note on the A string, the one that we just added, that's the one that sounds good when it moves. Moving down through the frets toward the tuning pegs. I could do a couple of plucks on each one. Or I could just do like one pluck on each one. You know, whatever kind of sounds right, it's a little bit up to me to decide how I want to walk that note. The point is, that's the loose tooth in the chord. That's the one that has some wiggle room. I could try walking some of the other notes, but, you know, from experience, I know that they're not going to sound as good when they move around. It's the difference between, you know, if, if you think of the structure of a house, you think of when you go into an old house and you want to do a renovation, you say, let's knock that wall out. And the carpenter looks at you and says, oh, no, <laughs> don't touch that wall. That is a load-bearing wall. You know, the whole house is going to cave in if you move that one. Well, in a similar way, there are some notes within chords that are load-bearing notes. They have to stay put in order for the chord to outline the harmony that we're trying to outline. The nine is not one of those notes. Thankfully, the nine is the note that we just added. And that one is one of those walls that can be knocked out or that can be moved back a foot to make room for that new sofa. And it sounds just great. So, you know, this is beyond the scope of this episode of the podcast, but getting to know chords on a more intimate, microscopic basis is really important. And it's very empowering, not just to know the names of the notes in the chord, like G, C-sharp, E, and A. And that's good. That, that's a great first step to be able to name the notes in the chord that you're playing. But also to be able to say what their role is in the harmony. For example, the seventh, the third, the fifth, and the root. How did I know that? Well, because I've practiced that a lot. You don't get to know this for nothing. You have to figure these things out, doodle them in the margin while you're supposed to be paying attention to your math teacher in high school. You know, that's what I was doing when I should have been doing other things. I was doodling in the margin and learning that A7 has the notes G, C sharp, E, and A. You know, that's what I was doing. Uh, and that's why I know those things now. There's no shortcut. You just have to learn it. And it really comes in handy sometimes. For example, I know that the third and the seventh of the chord 
Those are the load-bearing walls in that chord, and I shouldn't move those at all. But I know that other notes in the chord, like for example the nine, is not a load-bearing wall. That one can be moved around, it's got some wiggle room, it's got some elbow room, and hey, if I move that one, then it sounds cool. Of course, I could just guess which one to move, but here I've got you know, sort of like a one in four chance of it sounding the way I want it to sound. So that's that's just not good enough for me, especially when I'm out in public playing. I just don't want to be guessing like that. So where does this leave us with Avon and her search for um, parts of the chord that could be walked around? Well, Avon says, Pandora's box is officially open and I'm off hunting for chord walks that embellish the long chords without mucking up the melody. And she says, I'm going to be trusting my ear as well. Absolutely. I absolutely think that you should everything we do as we're learning is sort of a combination of the the gut and the brain working together uh, and the only way to discover these things is to explore but i really want to bring one of these to your attention right now uh avon i hope i'm not stealing your thunder because i know if you haven't already you will stumble on this little sound that i'm about to uh, share with everybody I want to share one of these chord walks with everyone because it is maybe the most useful one that I've ever found. It sounds like this. Oh yeah. Minor chord, in this case G minor. And we get this very sort of luxurious, silky sound of one note falling away within that chord. You hear this time and time again in all sorts of music, but in particular uh, pop and folk and jazz. And so let's learn it together right here, right now. Avon has inspired us to look for these moments within major chords, minor chords, dominant seven chords, dominant nine chords, whatever chord you come across. I bet you, if you look carefully enough and you experiment enough, you will find notes within any chord that can be moved around and that sound great. So let's do it. Let's take a minor chord, in this case, G minor. You'll hear that I have the low fourth string today because I knew we were going to be playing in G minor. And that really just grounds the sound to have that low fourth string. But this will work just fine if you're in uh, the re-entrant or high G tuning as well. So G minor is uh, zero, the open G, two, three, and one. And you may just want to stop the podcast right here. Just press pause and go to uh, the Euctropolis website to get the handout that we're about to dive into. You'll have to go to www.euctropolis.com slash Charlie. That's right. 
eutropolis.com slash Charlie. And you'll understand why Charlie in just a moment. Okay, so G minor is the first chord that you'll see on that handout. And the note that we're interested in here, the one that is going to move and give us that beautiful cascading sound is the note under your ring finger, the third the third fret of the second string. That note happens to be G, and we'll talk more about that in just a second. But for now, let's not analyze this. Let's just play it. Take the chord G minor, but now that ring finger is going to scooch back by one fret down to the second fret. And now the chord from ceiling to floor is going to be the frets 0, 2, 2, 1. It's a very unusual but very beautiful chord called G minor major 7. I'm serious. I'm not making that up. G minor major 7 is really the somewhat contradictory uh, sounding name of that chord. Now we're going to keep going. If you were double-jointed, maybe you could keep your ring finger scooching back, but for me, it's just a bit of a traffic jam there. So I'm going to take my ring finger out of the picture and use my first finger to flatten itself across the first and second strings. And I'm going to get 0, 2, 1, 1. And that's the chord G minor 7. Beautiful chord. That chord just, it, it's almost like B flat, right? It's almost like the B flat chord without the ring finger. It's sort of the way you wished you always could play B flat. So there you have it, G minor seven. And finally, we're going to release the E string so that we get the chord zero, two, zero, one. That's right, zero, two, zero, one. And that just looks like somebody trying to play the F chord wrong. <laughs> it, it just looks like an F chord bumped down toward the floor by one string. But we don't call it F wrong. <laughs> we call it, in this case, G minor six. So hold on, let's just take stock of what we did there. We just had a whole series of G minors. G minor, G minor major seven, G minor seven, and G minor six. Those are all the technical names for what happens when you just take one note and move it down. We've all heard that sound before. It's really beautiful and gives the G minor chord a real sense of direction and purpose, which it otherwise wouldn't have if it just sat there like a bump on a log like this. And nothing really wrong with that, but compare it to this sound. 
big difference. Only one note is moving, but it makes a huge difference. So you might be wondering, what's with the Charlie thing? <laughs> Why are we going to this URL that says www.eugtropolis.com slash Charlie? What's with Charlie? Who is Charlie? Well, the song that I'm going to use to demonstrate how this all works in context is called Charlie is My Darling. Charlie is My Darling is one of my favorite uh, minor key songs because it's a really happy uplifting song. Charlie is my darling, the young cavalier. This is a song we teach in level three of the ukulele in the classroom method book series. And that, as you can probably tell by the title, is a series that is geared to classes, groups, ensembles of ukulele players, and teachers who want a structured, sequential approach to music literacy on ukulele. And By the way, that's a completely free method book series that you can download from euketropolis.com slash classroom. And in level three, you will find this piece, Charlie is My Darling. Now, the way we're doing it today is pretty different. It's in a different key and it's got a different feel. And obviously, we're using it to explore these chord walks. But it's basically the same song. And... uh, You can add this to your bag of tricks, even if you have taught Charlie is My Darling in the past. So I'm going to play the arrangement, and then we'll go back and I'll give you a few pointers for how you can incorporate this into your practice or even bring this to your students. So here we go. Charlie is My Darling. just sit around and play that for like literally hours. I don't know if you find this as kind of a side note. Do you find that minor key songs just last longer? You know, in a jam session, you play a song in a major key and it, you know, burns out in about three or four minutes. But if you get into a minor key groove, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's not quite as sweet and so it doesn't tire you out as as quickly, but something about minor keys, just, 
they just kind of burn more slowly than major keys. And this is a good example of that. So obviously, if you're following along the sheet music, or even if you're just listening to this, you'll hear right away that there's more than just the one walk down that we've talked about so far. Sure, that first one. Charlie is my darling. You know, that's the one that we've learned so far, the G minor, that has the the walk down from the G note, just step by step down the fretboard. But there are others. For example, there's that wonderful C minor chord, which we walk... That is the C minor chord where you use the uh, index finger to bar the third fret. And that gives you the option to move that fourth string note around in a really tasty kind of a way. And then even in the middle of this piece where it says, When Charlie came to our town there's another one there, another walk down on the B flat chord. Kind of a surprise twist that we have a major chord now. And you can hear that the note, once again, on the fourth string is falling away. And you can, you can see why I chose the low fourth string for this um, podcast, because I knew there was going to be a lot of action on that fourth string, and I wanted it to really come out strong. When Charlie came to our town, major chords for just a moment, but then right back to the minor. The young Something about this, it, it sort of feels sinuous, kind of like there's almost like vines creeping around and connecting one chord to another. Do you get that impression? Do you get that mental image of, of this sort of overgrowth that's connecting one chord to the next? Where normally, you know, uh, when things are brand new and they're just built and they're spick and span, you've got sort of one chord sitting next to the other and the grass is all mowed and 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 the the yard is all well kept but over time nature begins to reclaim the space between these chords and you get vines that start to connect one to the next until the distinction between one chord and the next is not so clear anymore. Do you notice also that in all of these examples, it is the root note of the chord that is falling away? In the G minor chord, it was the G note that led us down that path. In the C minor chord, it was the C note that fell away one fret at a time toward the tuning pegs. And even in the B-flat chord, it was the B-flat note that started that descent down. I don't know about you, but I really like 
the emotional quality that this brings out in the chords, in the chord progression. There's really a, a sense of intrigue, you know, and mystery that comes out when we start connecting chords in this way. Uh, there's a complexity that's really satisfying. Um, and there's a sort of blurring of the edges of one chord into the next that I really love, and I hope you will too. So take this arrangement, take what Avon has started, and take what I've given you. And remember, it's just a sketch of the arrangement. I haven't given you every little last detail, but I've given you the chords, and I've given you the note that moves. And I want you to explore how that works for you and how you make it sound the way you want it to sound. Make this part of your practice in the coming weeks and months, and I think you uh, will really enjoy it, and you'll discover something new about the ukulele. Thanks to Avon for the inspiration for this week's episode, and thank you for tuning in. Thanks again for tuning in to the Uketropolis podcast. I'm your host, James Hill, and I'll be back again next week with more real ukulele answers to real ukulele questions. Don't forget, if you want more info about my upcoming in-person ukulele retreat, go to www.musicworldretreats.com and click on California Ukulele Hideaway. There's also a link in the show notes. Be well, everyone, and until next week, keep on strumming.